Hi there, and welcome to this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. I'm Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire. When it comes to the call of discipleship and getting ready for the kingdom of God, the time for work is now. Based on the second epistle to the Thessalonians, chapter 3, verses 6 through 13, here's the message entitled, We Dare Not Stand Idle. And it begins with a story about another kind of work that needs to be done, especially this time of year, leaf raking. Well, I am pleased to report to you today that thanks in large part to this beautiful autumn weather we've been having, as well as the mulching action of my nearly ancient riding lawnmower, I managed to get all of the leaves in the parsonage yard moved out to the curb just in time for the city to come and collect them. And given that that hasn't always been the case, at least not without a whole lot of help from you folks, I gotta say that's quite uh, an achievement. And I gotta also tell you, it's a job that I am really, really glad is done. But I also gotta confess, that I actually kind of enjoyed the whole process this year. Not only was it just amazing to get out there in the fresh air right now, there's something very satisfying for me about getting the yard all cleaned up and ready for the winter that will come inevitably. That said, I also have to say one other thing, that I have not always felt that way about me. In fact, I'm here to tell you this morning that as a kid, I actively worked hard to avoid the task of leaf raking altogether. I seem to recall being about 11 or 12 years old and asked by my father and my mother to rake the leaves in our yard. And I, in return, rationalizing to them in a sensible and very passionate way that there really wasn't any sense of doing any raking until every leaf had fallen from the big oak tree in our front yard. Knowing full well, of course, that this oak tree was always the very last one in our neighborhood to shed its leaves. Now you can imagine just how well that went over. I can hear my father now. Just do it. And so, reluctantly, very reluctantly, I'd go out there into the yard with rake in hand. But what was at most an afternoon's job would then stretch into days, oftentimes weeks, all because, well, I'd be fooling around, playing in the leaves, pretty much standing idle just as long as I possibly could. And if I didn't get the job done, which I didn't, no problem. Because at the end of every day, I would just report to my parents with utmost sincerity, that's all right, I'll finish it tomorrow after school. Or I could do it this weekend or, or, or next weekend and the weekend after that. And so it went, at least until inevitably the snows of November would come early in that part of the world and the leaves would be covered up with the white stuff where they would remain until spring. At which time, the leaves would then be wet and messy and 10 times harder to clean up. 
Needless to say, neither I nor my parents were thrilled at that prospect. (laughs) Oh well. It's probably safe to say that most kids, and a few adults that I know, have a, shall we say, love-hate relationship with the work ethic. Great line from the Jimmy Buffett song, any manual labor I've done was purely by mistake. (laughs) I think that we can agree that for some folks, idleness has become something of an art form. I think we can also say, however, that as we grow older, I know this is true for me, and I, I suspect it's true for you too. Most of us, as we get older, do come to appreciate the importance, the value, and the essential nature of work. And not simply because it results in a much-needed paycheck. Work, you see, can actually be a blessing, a gift of God. Work is a means to use our God-given gifts to serve God and to serve our neighbor. It is a way to provide for those that we love. It can also be a great source of joy, personal fulfillment. It's often the way we meet people. It's how we establish meaningful friendships, some that last us a lifetime. And whether that work we do is that what we are doing on the job or or else in the vocation we have as a a spouse or a parent or a homeowner, or for that matter, if we're simply that breed of person who is a putterer. The fact is, the work that we do goes a long way in defining who we are. shouldn't define everything we are, but it does have something to do with how we are perceived and how we look at ourselves. From our own point of view, from the point of view of others. I also think it's true that we also learn as we grow that a whole lot of our work, and I'm talking here about stuff that ranges from raking the leaves and, say, doing the dishes to the daily minutia that comes with raising our children and, and doing the stuff that needs to be done. It may not always be fun, nor glamorous, But it is necessary. Like I said before, you know, we do it because it needs to be done. In a whole lot of circumstances of life, we come to understand that there are times that we dare not stand idle for very long because waiting till tomorrow or next weekend or next year or whatever to do the work of today may prove not only to be disastrous in the long haul, but also too late. Sometimes, a whole lot of times, in fact, the time for work is now. That's what our text for this morning is all about. The words that Kay just shared with us, in which we hear some admittedly pretty harsh words coming from the pen of the Apostle Paul. Words that... I'll admit, seem particularly harsh given how hard we've been working around this place as of late. Trust me, I picked this scripture reading long before yesterday. But they are there for us to to reflect upon. And it helps us to know, I think, that they were 
originally directed to the church in the city of Thessalonica, which was and is located in the region of Macedonia and northern Greece. So, here's the backstory. Apparently, the Christians in Thessalonica had come to anticipate the second coming of Christ, the coming of the kingdom of God at literally any moment. For them, the kingdom of God was immediately at hand. It wasn't something that was way off in the distant future. It could happen any day, at any moment. And so because of this, many of the Thessalonian Christians actually taken on an attitude that all normal activity had not only become unnecessary, but pretty much irrelevant. In essence, their feeling was, well, if Christ is coming soon, then why bother? Let's just wait on it to happen. As a result of this, many of the Christians in that city had quit their jobs. They had stopped participating in the life of the community. And they generally were just literally sitting around waiting for something to happen. And as the weeks and months passed without Christ having returned, these Christians had pretty much dropped out of society and were living off the work of others in order to survive. It was that kind of behavior that was destroying the very fabric of the church. In their idleness, you see, they'd forgotten the true meaning of their faith. And therein, the work of God's kingdom that they were being called to do. So, when Paul writes to this church about this, his tone is anything but conciliatory. You heard it. He's rather blunt. Anyone unwilling to work, should not eat. Some of you, he goes on to say, are mere busybodies, really not doing any work at all. I looked up the translation of this in the voice translation of Scripture, and I love how they put it. There, Paul aptly puts it, they are really busy doing nothing, and yet they still expect to be fed. And that... Paul says, no matter what your translation ought to be, it should not be. You dare not stand idle, for you are the people who have been called to live out the reality of Christ's presence, love, and salvation in this world, and you are being called to do so wholly and fully until that blessed time when Christ does return. This is your vocation as Christians. It's your job. So, Paul concludes, go to work quietly. Earn your keep. Put food on your own table. Supply your own necessities. And above all, and this is what it's really all about, do not be weary of doing what is right. See, what Paul is saying here is that at the end of the day, if we are followers of Jesus Christ, that is, if our identity is to be found in our relationship with Jesus Christ, then that identity is going to be manifest in the work that we do. The work of love and justice and peace and hope and kindness and caring and compassion, all of that which is done in Christ's name. That is what Paul was saying to the Thessalonians, and that is what he says to you and to me. As the church, we are the people 
of God's promised kingdom. We are the people who are living in expectation of Christ's coming. And the thing about this is, is that the work of preparation for that coming is to be done now. Not later on. Now. We dare not stand idle now or ever. Rather, we are to be busy about the work of the kingdom at all times. For the Lord may come at any time. And tomorrow, tomorrow might be too late. Now I say all this, and and I realize that maybe all of what I'm saying here seems rather obvious to you. I realize, after all, that most of us are seated in these pews week after week out of a faith in God that informs and directs our daily lives. Moreover, I have the suspicion that some of us have come here today to discern or maybe even answer God's call on our life and living, whatever form that might take. That we are looking to find purpose and empowerment for the living of these days. So there's no question in my mind that for most of us at least, where faith is concerned, there is work to be done and that we are committed to doing it. And yet, the question Paul would still have us ask is whether or not we are actually doing that work or is the truth that we've tended to stand idle. To ask this another way, Sunday's covered, right? But how about from Monday to Saturday? Can it be said of each of us that in every day between Sundays, when it comes to us as being faithful people in word and deed, is that true for us? Or have we simply coasted through a life of faith while others have carried the burden? It's kind of like the way I've often heard football games described. That football games consist of 22 people out on the field in desperate need of rest, surrounded by thousands of people who are in desperate need of exercise. (laughs) I like that one. This is the question, you see. Are we the 22 or are we among the thousands? It's a good question. Do we respond daily to the Christ's call to discipleship? Do we seek to truly live unto the example of Jesus with devoted hearts and outstretched hands? Or do our day-to-day lives end up showing the world that we've grown tired of what we know by God is right? Do we stand idle while God's work is just there waiting to be done? It's an important question for us. Because the hard truth of it is, is that the church stands in the midst of crucial times. We are facing challenges unlike any of those faced by generations before us. At least challenges done in a different way. We seek to give our children a clear sense of moral, ethical, and deeply spiritual behavior for their lives even as at the same time the lowest forms of human behavior are being paraded daily on television and across the internet. 
We recognize, I think anyway, that spirituality is the most integral parts of our health, wholeness, and personal growth. And yet, expressing that faith, living out of that spirituality, is increasingly become deemed inappropriate and even foolish in the lexicon of current culture. We live in a world where too often the cries of the sick and the hungry and those ravaged by the effects of hatred and war go unheard, while those in the seats of power seem all too focused on maintaining that power. Friends, if there's ever been a time for the Church of Jesus Christ to be the Church of Jesus Christ, it's right now. And yet in way too many situations, way too many circumstances, the Church has remained appallingly silent. And I'm here to say that that's as true for us individually as it is for us collectively. And that is so tragic to me. And what makes it tragic is that we already know what's right and what's good about our faith. As I am very fond of saying, it's not what we don't understand about our faith that gets to us. Ultimately, what gets to us is what we do understand. You and I are being called by God to do what's right. Simple as that. To do what's right in our homes. To do what's right in the marketplaces, in the places that shape the priorities of society and culture. To do what's right right here in this sanctuary and with each other. But so often, it seems that at every level, we've grown weary of doing that which we know is right. So what Paul is saying to the Thessalonians, he says to us as well. As Christians, we simply can't be caught standing idle when there's so much work, so much of God's work to be done. My first car was a 1970 Ford Maverick. Towards the end of my freshman year in college, my father found it somewhere. I think uh, he and my mother were, were getting tired of coming down to get me and bringing me home on weekends. But he, so he found this old car. He got it running for me. And I got to tell you that it wasn't anything particularly special to look at. It was kind of, no, not kind of, literally held together by Bondo and by spray paint. But I got to tell you, of all the cars I have driven over the years, there is no car that has meant more to me than that 1970 Ford Maverick. I remember sitting behind the wheel of that car, even if I wasn't driving anywhere. I, I would just open the windows, crank windows, remember those? Honking the horn, trying out the AM radio, just feeling so good, so cool. And so incredibly free. In a whole lot of ways, you know, it wouldn't have mattered to me if I never left the driveway. <laughs> I just loved the feeling of it. But of course, you know, that would have been silly. Because that would have defeated the whole purpose of having that car. My dad got that car for me so that I could get back and forth to school. That I could travel to my summer job on the coast of Maine that I would have the means to start building a life for myself, to get from one place to another. 
The very thing that that car had been designed to do was to be driven. It was most decidedly not designed to just sit there. Well, think of that as a parable, friends. Because God has created us so that we can live lives of integrity. That we can do the work that God has laid out for us to do. That's who we are. That's what we're meant to be as the children of God. Not merely to sit around idly and soak up the feeling of God's presence in our lives, but rather to be sent out into the world to actively do the work that God has always intended for us to do. See, anything else would defeat God's whole purpose and moreover be an awful waste. You see, we can't wait till later. We can't wait for an easier or more convenient time to act. We can't sit around and wait for everyone else to get on board and then maybe we'll do something. Because truly the time to work is now. The time to love is now. The time to forgive is now. The time to walk justly and to love kindness and to walk humbly with God is now. The time and the place for the work that needs to be done is now and it's here. So brothers and sisters in Christ, We've been working hard, but there's still a whole lot of work to do. So let's get at it. May God bless us as we do. Amen and amen. And that's the message entitled, We Dare Not Stand Idle. It was recorded during our November the 6th service of worship at East Congregational Church in Concord, New Hampshire, where we invite you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at the church on 51 Mountain Road, which is just off exit 16 of I-93 in Concord. I would love to have the chance to welcome you, and I know you'll be glad you came. And that's it for this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. I thank you for listening today, and until next time, may God bless you with a great day every day. We'll talk to you soon.